There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 86 of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. Thank you so much for checking out another episode of the show. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, here with you with the first episode of 2022. Thank you so much for uh, for checking it out. And uh, first episode of the podcast, actually, for uh, New Year's Eve into New Year's, the radio show, we went four hours, 10 to uh, 2 a.m., and uh, that was pretty fun. So that was we literally started the show in 2021, ended in 2022. Was an absolute blast to do. And uh, if you got to check that out, thank you very much for checking it out. And uh, if you were listening to it, you probably uh, know what this episode is going to be about because I was teasing it on a Friday night's episode. But uh, top ten albums of 2021. We're at the beginning of another year. And uh, it is time to look back at some of the best music of uh, 2021. There's a lot of good stuff. I mean, I did a four-hour show uh, Friday night about it. You know, I, I went on and on and played tons of uh, music from the year. And uh, I did my countdown on there. We spent the last uh, or the second hour and then a little bit of the first or third hour, I should say, um, talking about it. But I was playing music, so I didn't really get to talk all that much about the albums. Like, I got to talk about it for a second or two. But I didn't get to go too in-depth with anything. So like I was teasing on there, you know, this episode, uh, you know, since I'm not playing music, I will uh, get more in-depth about why I like the records and uh, some songs to check out. And I will say now, uh, besides one album that is not on Spotify, uh, everything that uh, I talk about on tonight's episode will be on a Spotify playlist, as well as the songs. I'll give you my top three favorite songs of all the albums and they're on a Spotify playlist you can listen to. I mean, not right now. you got to listen to this episode. But then after that, I mean, go check it out because it is up now. But uh, we're going to get into it. I, I enjoyed doing this episode. I guess this would be the uh, third one we're doing, uh, which is crazy. You know, I mean, we're really, this is kind of like the second anniversary of the of the podcast. So it's, uh, it's the second anniversary. But really, I think we did 2019. I think I did the best albums in my top 10 of 2019. So this is our third one. And uh, kicking it off at number 10, 500 Miles to Memphis with their record Hard to Love. This one came back or came out back in October of 2021 on Paper and Plastic Records. And like, I'll be honest, this band has been around for almost 20 years now. And uh, I just became aware of them uh, last summer. And I mean, I'm very happy I was. I am going through back through their catalog and they have quite a... uh, Quite an extensive back catalog for the most part, and just really enjoyed what I heard and everything. And uh, on this new album, you know, if you've never listened to them, I did interview their uh, singer Ryan when this uh, right before this album came out. So I mean, maybe you've checked them out since then. I've played them. uh, I played them the other night on the radio show uh, when I was going through my top ten list. But um, you know, if you listen to them, they have this real hybrid of like, you know, they're a pop punk band, but like with some Americana country in there, and uh, you know, it makes for a really good. It just makes for a really unique sound, and I mean, on all their albums, it has a pretty unique sound blending those two, but I think this record, Hard to Love, is like their most like punk-influenced, but with that Americana twist still in there, which makes for a really, really unique record, because I mean, this this by by all means, I mean, there's you can hear a couple different genres in here, 
But by all means, I would say a punk, like pop punk record, you know, definitely in the vein of like no effects, leg wagon, you know, very like uh, fat records influenced. But with that Americana twist, it really has like a fresh, unique sound to it. You know what I mean? Like it has there's certain parts about the band where if you're into fat records, punk, you'll find stuff that you love instantly. But it's like they still have these influences that they're deriving from other places. So they don't just sound like a fat tribute band. I mean, there's like slide guitar in there. You know, there's some keys at different times. You can hear some strings in there. And I mean, there's just a bunch of different things that, I mean, give them a unique kind of edge to your like, you know, average pop punk band. You know, they definitely, while like their influences and stuff are probably not too different from their contemporaries. Like their sound is, uh, you know, something that's totally different from what you, uh, you know, normally hear. Which uh, on this record, like, I mean, I think it is my favorite of theirs. You know, going back through their catalog, I, I really do like everything they've put out. But like, again, on some records, and I talked to Ryan about this when I was interviewing him, and I mean, he mentioned it, but like, you know, some records are a little more on the punk side, some are more like on the Americana side. But, like, this one, I would say, of all of them, like, again, like, this is them going in and it's a little more aggressive and pissed off than, like, some of the other stuff. I would say the last record kind of was going in this direction. But I think this one is uh, even better than the last one as well that they put out in, I believe, like, 2019. I'm trying to remember now, now that I'm, like, you know, I discovered all their music within, like, a few months. So, like, it all... Like, years and years of music is all crammed into, like, a few months for me. But, you know, like, that album was good, and I feel like it had a nice punk influence on it. Like, they were going more in this direction. But I think on this one, they really honed in on that and really on their, like, more punk side and punk roots. But again, like, with that, you know, not not losing the traditional part of the band. So it's like, it just makes for something very different. You know, I mean, 100 pop punk records came out this year, and a lot of them are great. But, you know, they do kind of... that. It's a genre, and look at I love the genre, but it's like, you have to be honest, there's a lot of... Not, not all pop punk, but, I mean, there are divisions of pop punk where, you know, all the bands do kind of start blending together and sounding the same. And some of it I enjoy, but I mean, it, I enjoy it, but I'm not going to say it's like the greatest stuff released, you know, during a year. But with 500 Miles to Memphis, you know, again, like they just go in there and like they're just so different. You know, they have they have that unique edge to them as well as, again, they've been around for almost 20 years. So, I mean, these guys like have had time to kind of figure out what they want to sound like, you know, like they've they've had time to work on different albums and stuff and i think i think this is a good direction for them like it, on the next album not to you know i mean i'm already like jumping to the next one but i i think on the uh, next record if they continue in this vein i think they're going to keep picking up a lot more fans where like people are going to you know like maybe like and i like the older stuff but maybe people have heard it and they were more you know like more like pop punk fans who heard it and weren't as open-minded and didn't like some of the older stuff that had more of a country influence. Whereas on this, it's like, oh no, I think they'll fall in love with it. And then you'll kind of sneak in, which I like when bands do because it ends up opening your eyes or really your ears to like different things you may not, you know, you normally wouldn't check out. And I think pop punk as a genre can be very close-minded where its influences come from and what it listens to. You know, I mean, it, I mean, it just punk in general. I mean, punk is a, is definitely a genre where you talk to most people and at some point they have a phase where all they would listen to is things that were labeled punk and they were like, no, fuck anything else. And it's like, and I, I mean, I did that at some point too, but it's like you start to realize all the great music that you miss from doing that. So I think a band like 500 Miles to Memphis is a band that you need in like a genre like pop punk where there's people who can check it out, including younger people 
who can uh, check out this band. And again, like you initially like it because, you know, it sounds, it sounds very like, you know, no effectsy or something, but you end up getting into different music because of all the different stuff in there. You know, maybe it's the strings, maybe it's like some of the other, you know, just the slide guitar, you know, different things that you may not normally hear in pop punk that you start going, Oh geez. Like then you start listening to things with that in it. But, uh, as well as, you know, Ryan just has like the perfect voice for the band sound as well. Like he very, he very much like I kind of I don't know he uh, I get some Billy Joe Armstrong in there and I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Green Day was an early influence for him but like I kind of that's kind of one way that I think of the band I almost go like it's it's like Billy Joe kind of playing you know like like kind of fast Americana kind of stuff you know and and again not that he sounds straight up like him but it's like I go that's kind of how I think Billy Joe Armstrong would sound if he was singing, you know, kind of Americana influenced pop punk, you know, but like Ryan, Ryan's voice. I love, I think it's one of the best things about the band. Like I, I just think it fits so well. And I also think it fits well when they're doing the uh, kind of country thing, because it's, it, you know, he still has that kind of punk whine to it where it's like, you know, like you can still hear it like as much you know, they can, they can go as far to the countryside as they want. But they'll always have that punk edge because of Ryan's vocals, you know, like, I mean, on top of other things, but like his vocals, I think, are definitely a a big thing that like keeps them, you know, like it keeps 500 miles to Memphis, 500 miles to Memphis, you know, and I also like it, too, because like they've been around again for a little while. And, you know, Ryan, Ryan is I don't know how old he is, but he's like, I know he's in his 30s. And like, I think that's like I'm liking we're seeing more of an influx, I think, like pop punk is very much. I mean, I think for a while, really for like a good chunk of pop punk's existence, you know, you kind of you associate it with like teenage years, maybe like early 20s, but like almost this thing where like, you know, oh, you start, you know, people start like joking and talking shit about like you age out of like 24 or whatever. But like pop punk, I think we're starting to see more bands come out like Wiretap has a lot of bands, I feel like we're like. You know, they're they're not by any means like old dudes, but it's like you'll get like these pop punk bands where the members are like in their 30s or 40s or something. And it's like I love those bands because they've had more time to like like hone their craft and stuff. And like lyrically, they start writing about things that are prevalent in their life at that time. So it's like, you know, pop punk a lot of times what I think it suffers is if you don't get into it at a certain age, you're not going to. You know, I, I had this conversation I don't know if it, if it was on an episode or if we were just talking as two friends one day, but like me and Kyle, I remember talking about something like that where like there's certain pop punk bands, maybe it was messed. I think it might've been messed. I was talking to him and it was like, he had, he had just listened to them for the first time. It was like a year or so ago. And it, he, he was not into it by any means. Now I like messed. I've had Tony Lovato on the show. I've seen him live and stuff like I'm, I'm definitely a fan of messed, but like what I told Kyle is like, dude, I get it though, because at your age, like I get why a 30 something year old who hears messed for the first time, it may not connect with them the same way where if you heard messed when you were like 15 or 16 and like, you know, that connection stays with you. And it's like, and I'm still a fan. I still, you know, I'm into like the new stuff they put out. And I, I, from time to time, will go back and listen to like the old stuff. But like, I also get it. Like I heard them when I was a teenager, you know, I like, I, I get why like there's certain, like this thing like pop punk is like, I, I get why there's a lot of it where you go. Yeah. I think if someone's like 
30 something years old they're probably not going to relate with a lot of it and it's like again like some of the stuff you write in some of these bands you definitely have to like be into when you're in that age of like your early teens or your late teens early 20s to still be in two years later now 500 miles to memphis again they're one of these bands now where it's like i love it because it's like it's not it's not like a teenager writing really teenagery lyrics i don't think teenagery is a word but you know what i'm talking about like you know, there's just certain pop punk where it's like right away, like the lyrics are just, I don't even know if I want to say cringy because I feel like that's taking away, but just they're written by a 19 year old or whatever. And it's like when you're 19 writing those, I'm sure the, the lyricist and singer like means every word they're singing or whatever. Like I'm sure it's genuine. It comes from a genuine place, but it doesn't age well. You know what I mean? Like that has an expiration date on it. Whereas, you know, like with 500 miles to Memphis, like these guys aren't like in their in their like punk phase or they won't listen to anything else. You know, they they know the sound they want and like lyrically again, like I think Ryan writes like his life now and I think it makes for music that you can relate to. You know what I mean? It's not just a like pop punk record about, "Oh, I hate I hate this town and my girlfriend broke up with me." Like not shit like that. You know, I mean, you can you can hear like in the lyrics too. I mean, you hear like him talking about different topics like death religion, getting older, you know, just a bunch of different things like that where like there's substance to it. You know what I mean? Like, and the songs are still fast and fun. Like this is a fun album to listen to, but like lyrically you can, you know, you can still appreciate it. You know, it it won't be an album that I think in five years you'll go, Oh, like those lyrics aged badly, you know, which happened, which again, it's like, and I love pop punk music, but like there's so much of it that just does not age well, you know, like I like again, I and that is something I think we talked about on the show, but like Blink-182 is one where I'm like, I get why like a 40 year old dude, like if Enema of the State came out and I was like a 40 year old punker who was like, you know, all about like, yeah, punk was better in 1977, man. Like I get why like you're not going to be into that. Like I totally get it. You know what I mean? And I, I think with. I think the more we're seeing bands who still embrace like that punk pop punk sound and will still make a fun record, but still write, you know, with substance, you know, as they get a little older, like I, I'm liking that because I think for a while you would see bands try to shy away from the genre. Like as they got older, they tried to get away from it and tried doing different things. Then you get boring, mature, like they're grown up record and stuff. And those albums suck. Now a band like 500 miles to Memphis. No, they grow like the music can still be fast and fun. But they're not the same people they were 20 years ago, you know. So it's like they're they're writing music that, again, I think I think there's more quality to the pop punk than sometimes you find in a uh, you know again in a genre that just isn't always and it can also be stale. Where like with them, they take chances. Songs like "Way to the World," "Control Alt Country," which I think is a great uh, a great song title, "Control Alt Country." Um, it, it shows a band like taking new chances. And again, they've been around for almost 20 years now and they're still finding like, you know, new parts of their sound and taking chances on different things and like just really showing different sides of them. And I applaud that. Cause again, you can, you can get lazy and you can, you can kind of like rest on like, Oh, well, you know, we've already put out four or five albums. We're just going to keep going with that sound. Whereas on this, you can hear a band that, uh, just sounds like they give a shit, you know, like when they went in studio, like they gave a shit when they wrote and recorded uh, hard to love like you can just you you can tell it shows you know and and it's why i uh just why i enjoyed it so much this year and two i mean cuz i i got into it pretty fast you know there's some albums that you need to take a few listens to get into but i mean this one not coming out until october you know really only a few months back i mean i was instantly uh into it i it didn't take a whole lot for me to be like oh yeah like i'm totally 
I'm totally into this. Like, I was very excited to interview Ryan, like, right after I heard – I forget which ones I heard. I, I think I think Dropout and one or two others I got sent before the album came out, and I was, I was into it. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to interview this guy. And uh, I really was. That was such a – if you've not heard it, it is a really fun interview from uh, back in September. You can go find, obviously, wherever you're listening to this right now, you can probably find that interview but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a really good album. It flows really well. I think the sequencing on it is done really well. Like, it, it's it's never boring. There's Because there are times where they'll take you different experimental, you know, like they'll experiment a little bit. Or maybe there's a bit of a longer intro or, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a fast punk record for every single second. Like, they'll do different things, but it's broken up in a way where you're never, you know, it never goes on too long. You're never bored. Like, you get it. You know, the buildup is always... It's worth it, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a really um, well, well put together album. And like again, I'd be very happy if they continued this direction on the next album. Like, I think, I think continuing going this way and kind of keeping that like more punk edge, while you know, again, not losing their roots. You know, I think if you're a 500 miles to Memphis fan, you're still going to find the things you love about them on this album. But I also think if you're new to the band, this is a good starting point. Like, this is a good album to start on for sure. So. I can't say enough good things about it. And, uh, you know, Ryan as well, such a good dude. I was very happy uh, to talk to him. I'm sure he'll be back on sometime in the future. But uh, my top three songs on this one, and again, these are on the Spotify playlist for this week, but Drop Out Stereo because, uh, I mean, the whole song's good, but he references Super Drag in it, and, I mean, that's just great. I I love that. And uh, Hard Pill is another great one. Towards the end of the record, another fun song. just fun, fast one, you know, another like really good melodies, really fun uh, chorus. Like, I, and again, like listening to the lyrics, you can tell like it, it's a deeper, you know, it's like a fun, fast, like pop punk song, but there's a little more going on there. You know, it's a little deeper, which, which I enjoy again, it makes for something with more substance. You know, I can, I can enjoy a fun, like pop mindless, like pop punk record, but as far as it like landing on my top 10 list, like there has to be something that gets me to go back and listen to it. And, uh, they definitely have it on that one. And moving on to number nine, we got glitter with life is not a lesson. This one came out early on in 2021, back in February on anti records. And I mean, it, I don't even know how to describe the band all that well. Like the I the best way I think I'd put it is like indie pop soaked in fuzz with like a big Pinkerton influence. Like you can hear you can hear the like specifically Pinkerton, not just Weezer, but specifically Pinkerton. Um like this album definitely has some Pinkerton vibes on it in the best way possible. But uh, if you don't know about Glitter, that is uh, Ned of Title Fight's band, post Title Fight band. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, like my thing is it doesn't sound straight up like title fight. And I kind of talked about this on the last album that they put out in 2019. It's different, but at the same time, it's still like Ned singing, like his aggressive vocals are still there. And I think that's something interesting because musically title fight and glitter sound pretty different, but I would say overall, like Ned doesn't really change that much with his vocals. You know what I mean? Like you can still tell that it's him singing. Like that's not gone. And I think a lot of that, like, you know, like it's still heavy music. Like it is heavy music, but it's like kind of like not even like nice indie pop, but like just it's kind of disguised with like melody and stuff. It's a little more melodic than like title fight. But I mean that, that, those those things that you enjoyed about Title Fight, I think, are still in there. You know, it's still the same guy writing those songs. 
And and it's one of those things where it's like I I think you can you can keep comparing them, but it's apples to oranges. And I'm just happy the guy's making music. And I mean, like I really I enjoy this one as well as the uh, last record they put out again a few years ago, looking through the shades. Um, I believe that one I talked about on this podcast. I more than likely I did if we did the uh, top ten of 2019. But something I like about their uh, albums, and it kind of goes for all three of them that they've put out so far, they're they're short and the songs are short. No, like most songs on this album are under two minutes, and the longest one is two minutes and twenty nine seconds. So I mean, it's a nice quick listen. Like it's something like if you're on the fence, you know. Like again, I it, it's hard not to bring up title fight, but like if you're on the fence, like you're a fan, but you're like, oh no, I'd be into it. It's like hell, you can listen to the album. In under a half hour, and and you can be the judge on it. Like you don't have to listen to one song; you can listen to the whole thing in such a short amount of time that it's that it's worth your uh, definitely worth your attention to like check out. You know, I I think something too. He uh, Ned also plays. I don't know everything he plays on it. I don't know if he plays most of the instruments or not. I mean, live he does have a full band, but um, I I'm pretty sure he plays bass on the record and and there are some good bass lines like sprinkled throughout there's some really like uh just solid I I think there's a few songs where like the bass line sticks out like really well and uh and kind of in a like kind of like a Kim Deal way like of the Pixies where like it's it's more of a straightforward bass line like it's nothing it's not that he's doing anything crazy but what he's playing is just perfect for the songs and they're like you know sometimes they're infectious bass lines even if he's just playing like pretty straightforward stuff, you know, you can be playing like four notes and it just works really well. There's some like times where it just, it kind of, it pops out and you go like, Oh, like that's one of the, you know, it's like one of the key parts of like the songs. But I think too, like his wider range of music tastes, I think like, I, I think I'll blend in on this, uh, in this band, you know, a lot more than the last one. I, I think, uh, I mean, you hear the indie pop, but it's it's also not pretentious. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, he's bringing in other things. He's not trying to make, like, a pure indie pop album where it's like it can't be – it can't take it – you know, it has to take itself too seriously or it can't have a little fun or do this or that. You know, you can hear different influences thrown in there. You can hear him go these these different places and, you know, just kind of – I think also like like what he does like I'm normally not the biggest like synth guy but like the synth on this album just works well like every album it's different but it's like it's just so uniquely done that it's like I'm like I'm a big fan of it and normally there's a lot of there's probably a lot of bands in the vein of Glitter that I would not <laughs> I would not like in the least like I would not be into but I I think on this one like again I think Ned just has all these like and and at the same time it's like with those aggressive vocals and stuff it's not him trying to totally, you know, get rid of his musical past. You know, you still hear those things that you, uh, you know, that you love about like the songs that he's written. And it's also like I'm impressed because I, I always forget how much they've already put out. I mean, they have three records and I think maybe even an EP out, you know, which I mean within I think like maybe five years now. So, I mean, he's uh, he's been pretty productive with this. But, uh, you know, the, the another thing, like, with it going all over the place, it's as equally, like, 80s influences, influenced as it is 90s influenced. Like, the guitars kind of have a 90s vibe, and the synths have an 80s vibe. And I love it. Like, the the not that they clash together. They more mesh together, like, in a really... The way they come together is just really good. Like, again, it has a... You can, you can tell what they're going for with it, and, like, I, I can see, like, this band working in a live setting with certain like other bands like going on going on tour with like certain bands I think they'll like fit in with. I mean maybe not so much like in the hardcore punk scene, 
but like I, I think they I think they could easily find keep finding a bigger and bigger fan base, including out of the title fight world. Like I think I think playing with uh, other bands and stuff kind of more in that indie pop kind of fuzzy like scene, I think would uh would do them wonders, you know. And I mean and maybe they are, you know, I mean maybe not right this second, but uh yeah, I really I really enjoy this one. I really enjoyed the last one too. I haven't spent enough time with their very first record. But uh, the last two have been really, really good. And, I mean, there's some, there's some like, it, it's an album that, like, again, it's just such a fast listen that, like, you can just throw it on, listen to it, and then you're on to the next thing. Like, it, it does not take up your day. It hardly takes up your hour. It hardly even takes up a half of your hour. And, uh, yeah, in the art, the al- the, I will say this, too. It may be number nine on my uh, favorite albums, but the album artwork might be my favorite of the year. Just really, really cool. I think just fits the uh, the mood of the album and everything so well. I think that's only important too. Like, I think there's a discussion for a while, and I don't know if it's is so much now, but like, you know, oh, or like, is album artwork dead, or is it as important as it used to be? But like, I think I think it really is for like an album to like come together in every way, whether it's like you know, like the album title and the album cover and the like vibe of the album all all just work or like whatever it is. Like, I I think that is important, and I think the uh, the album artwork on this one just fits with the vibe of the band and everything they're uh, going for. I think it just like works perfectly. But my top three on this one are the songs Indeed, I Made the Call, and Little Backwards Glance. And uh, all those are – they're nice. I feel like that's a good like array and like variety of the album too, like to kind of show like every side of the band. Like those three songs I feel like kind of represent – the album uh, really well. But moving on to number eight, we got Tiger's Jaw with I Won't Care How You Remember Me. This one came out on Hopeless Records back in March of 2021. Now, this one's funny. Tiger's Jaw was never a band I was that into. I saw them open for a bunch of other bands, and, you know, they were they were okay. I remember them doing a really good Cure cover, but it was just never my cup of tea. I kind of just, I mean, to be honest, I just kind of found them boring. Like, it just was never, it was never my thing. And, like, Again, I didn't really hate them. It was just like, whatever, like, you know, they they exist, but it's just not a band that I like go out of my way to listen to. And I don't know what it was when this one came out that I really kind of gave it a, a, like a, I decided to give it a listen, you know, I mean, I had, because they're not a band that I'd only heard like once. Again, I'd seen them live a few times and I heard some songs, like, I mean, I knew enough about them where I was like, you know, it's just not really my thing, but I'm very happy that I took the chance on this one because it became one of my favorite albums of the year. I mean, hands down. This uh this record is just so good. I think I think like one of the things that caught me too, which I always thought was one of their uh one of the highlights of the band though, was Brianna Collins with her voice is just it's made for like catchy indie rock. Like her voice and her like the melody she's playing on on her keyboard, like is just it's perfect. Like it just works so well with what they're doing. And uh I, I think the band and maybe they've shed this more in recent years. But, I mean, definitely have the emo label on them. But, like, I think there's just so much more going on here. Maybe that's why I'm more into them now. Because they're doing more than I think some of their past releases had on there. I, I think this one is, it, it's not really of a of a certain genre. It's just a really good, like, indie rock record. I mean, there there's some amazing melodies. There's, like, some beautiful songs. There's some more, you know, heavy, heavy within Tiger's Jaw you know, like levels, but like, I, I would almost, I would almost say, and I mean, they've, they've toured together a bunch and, uh, you know, are from, are both from PA, 
But uh, you know, kind of reminds me of like a poppier Menzingers in a lot of ways. I think I think the guitars are one of the things. I think the guitars sound uh, kind of similar in like their tone. And another thing too, like Will Yip produced this, which I mean, he is uh, as far as modern day producers, he has to be one of the best ones. And uh, he's obviously worked with the Menzingers as well. So, I mean, I, I think some of it may also come from working with, uh, you know, the same producer. But they definitely, I, I think on here more than I've heard in the past, I, I definitely hear like some, not that they're influenced by Menzingers because they're more contemporaries, but like just more in that vein, you know, kind of like they come from that same scene, but Tiger's Jaw is more like a like popular version, you know, or even more melodic version of a Menzingers, which I'm all about that. That is that is not a bad thing in the least. And uh I, I do think like this this album could be a crossover for them into the mainstream. Like I just think there's infectious there's infectious hooks all over it. And again, like I think I think one of the things that could really get them over to is uh Brianna Collins just vocals. Like I, I, I think that I think that with the keys just like it, it sets them apart where like it's like the 500 miles to Memphis thing like this, you know, Tiger's jaw has bands that you could compare them to and they fit perfectly with on like a tour, but like they have that little edge to them like Tiger's jaw that, you know, just sets them apart, you know, kind of, kind of makes them, you know, you may hear a couple different like indie rock bands with like, you know, like female vocals with some keys in there and like, you know, the vocals are kind of like saw on the more softer side and stuff. But there's more going on here, you know, and what they do is they do it very well. And I think time will do that for a band as well. I mean, they're another one who's been around now since like I think maybe like 2008 or something like that. I think I saw like they've they've been around well over a decade. Like they've been around the block. They've released a few albums. And uh, I think that also pays off for a band. You know, I, th- I think you do some bands right out the gate. And I know their first record is kind of a cult classic like within within emo and stuff. But like I, I think some bands right out the gate, your first album can be like a defining one for you. But like some bands, and I and sometimes I think you're luckier for it, is you get some time to really figure out your sound and you know, you you kind of bring it to this place where again, you want you don't you don't want to sound like other bands, you want to sound like your band. And you know, I think it takes time to get there. You know, certain certain bands do it on album one, certain bands do it, you know, on album five, you know. I think, uh, you know, past guests of the show, Audio Karate, we kind of talked about it with Jason Camacho, but like, uh, you know, and I love Space Camp, but like they're really Lady Melody is so unique because that's their like, you know, Space Camp sounds a lot more like uh, their contemporaries and other bands at that time. And it's really well done pop punk, but that's what it is. It's a pop punk album from the early 2000s, whereas with Lady Melody, I mean, it's very hard to pinpoint just one one sound or one genre on that, you know, because they found their own sound. And I think Tiger's Jaw is kind of doing it on this one. And, uh, and you know, it's another band, too, where it's funny because I'm going back and listening to, to, like, albums that I hadn't heard before and only heard a song or two off of. And, like, the album before this one, I think you could, you know, I, I was hearing them. I was into that one, too. Like, I need to spend more time with it because I was into the songs on that as well. But it's another one where you could see them going towards that. Like, it's not a perfect album, but you can kind of tell, like, the next one's going to be really good. And, I mean, that's this one, and I, I really think they uh, they did it. I, I would say something I would like to hear them do more is, like, call and response uh, vocals with just back and forth from Brianna and uh, Ben. I think that would sound really cool. Like, instead of – because they both kind of sing, like, one will sing a lead on a song, and, you know, you hear the other one kind of come in and, like, harmonize, 
in like the chorus and stuff. But like I would I would love to hear them go more like back and forth, kind of like a uh, kind of like a Taking Back Sunday or something like that. I think I think that would uh, sound really neat with the way they're uh, just like with the style of music and everything. I think that would work really well. But uh, yeah, the album just possesses something I didn't hear in uh, some of the older older uh, albums. And I don't know. I mean, I would love to know if, if it captured other people too that way who weren't as into the older stuff, if this one like did something for them. And I got another album on this list here in a little bit. You know, I won't say it yet, but like there are a few this year where it was from bands that I never would have guessed in a million years I would have had on a top 10 list. But, you know, they just, they, they outdo themselves or, you know, they go in a certain direction and uh, I think on this one, Tiger's Jaw just really gave a, a great, great performance. But I'd say top three on this, I would say the song Commit, the song Hesitation, and the uh, album closer Anniversary, which uh, I think maybe the most unique song on the album might be Anniversary. But uh, yeah, all three of those really, really good. Moving on to number seven, we got Greg Eklund with Muffled Tears. This one was a self-released album back in August of 2021. Now, this one's kind of funny because it came out in August, but I've been listening to this album since like April of 2020. I had uh, I had Greg on back in 2020 originally to talk about uh, Everclear Sparkle and Fade for its 20th or 25th anniversary and uh, we started talking about other things what he was working on at the time and he was working on a solo record and he kind of been working on it for a while and uh, at, at that time it was done minus not being mastered so I mean all the songs were finished it was sequenced it was just not mastered and uh, yeah it was like a few weeks maybe a month after uh, our first interview and uh, he's like hey you want to hear the record and I was like I mean yes of course like of course like are you kidding I mean I was I was getting stoked on it just talking to him about him. You know, hearing him describe it, I was really into it. So to be able to listen to it, I fell in love with it right away. I was listening to those unmastered tracks a bunch when he sent me that album. And again, it's it's no different from what you hear. It's just it, it's mastered now. But I mean, it was sequenced the same. He didn't like change anything else. But like I've been listening to the album. It's funny for more like closer to two years. But uh, it it really made me revisit it too because it'd been a while since I'd heard it though too you know I'd listened to it when he sent it to me and then just after a while I hadn't heard it for a bit you know because I also you know I obviously wasn't playing it on the radio show or anything else because it wasn't out yet but like once it came out going back and listening to it again I'm like oh my god like I forgot like how good like this record is just so good he really I I I think he I think what he did too is like. I think he brings together the sounds of both Everclear and his post Everclear band, the Ulas, and he explores like any and all spectrums of like alternative rock. Like this is it's like an alternative rock album, but it hits, you know, because that can mean a couple different things. And I feel like he hits almost every side of what that can mean. Like like really like in in throwback ways and in even modern ways. Like this is an album. That I think if it gets out there more, because originally too, and I'm happy it came out, like because Greg wanted to get it out, but really it's a it's a concept album about his life after Everclear, and it's very candid. Like you listen to it, and it's like it's very open and honest. And I mean, it was just I think more than anything, he wanted it out, not <clears throat> not so much for other people to hear it, just for him to get out, like as a cathartic like experience. You know what I mean? Like it was therapeutic to write and record these songs, and then to just get them out there. You know, he I don't I don't think he had huge plans or knew when it was coming out, but you know, I, I think I I'm sure I wasn't the only one. I'm sure when he told about like when he described it, like it, you'd be hard pressed not to be interested too. Like if you heard him describe the album. 
you know, I, I think you would want to hear it as well. So like, I, I think enough people kind of heard it after being enticed by it where it's like, oh my God, you got to release this. And that was the same thing I told him. It's like, hey, like you gotta, you gotta release that. Like, I, I think it will, you know, I mean, in this day and age, I mean, you may not blow up. It may not like throw him in arenas, but like whether or not you even know who Greg Eklund is or care about his, his bands, like this is just a great alt rock record. Like this album is just done. So, and he plays everything on it. Greg did everything, and then he had his engineer, James Brown, um, help him with it, you know, uh, engineered, I guess I should say. But besides that, it was all uh, it was all Greg. I mean, so it is it is all him. I mean, besides it all just being about his life and in chronological order from leaving. a, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like it's a candid look at someone's life after leaving a multi-platinum band and just all the things that come with that, the good and the bad starting over just. You know, it, it's not like just this album where it's like, oh, he writes about like how great his life is. Like he he shows you the ups and downs, and like again, the fact that he plays every every instrument on it, like everything is him. His face is on the front cover. Like this is this is every and all facet of Greg Eklund. Like this is all of him, and I think it comes out really great. Like it comes out very genuine, and these songs are just so you know they're just so very very catchy. And I just, I, again, like, I think it's amazing too, because like talking to him, like Greg said, like he's kind of a novice on most instruments. Like, I mean, drums is the thing most people know, know him most as, as, as the drummer. But I mean, he went in and, you know, played bass, played guitar, played all the different stuff on there and just kind of went for it, you know, which I think is inspiring, including that's one of the most inspiring things about him is like a guy who has had as much success as he has continue to just jump into things. I mean, like he like he's working on a documentary right now. He never he never worked on a documentary before. He just had a GoPro and he had an idea for one and he just jumped into it. And just that that whole DIY and kind of fuck it attitude is how you get things done. I mean, like he's like, "Hey, you know, I I, I can't sit here forever and try to like teach myself like become a master of something before I do it. Like I just got to do it." And that definitely seems to be where uh, Greg comes from. Just like you just jump in head first. You figure it out on the way. You know, it's just kind of trial and error. And, uh, you know, and that's the other thing. It's like he, he's he been working on this album for a while, and I'm sure there was a lot of trial and error before, you know, what we hear came out. Like, I'm sure there were times where it didn't sound as good as it as it does. But, I mean, he really, like, hunkers down and, like, teaches himself about these things. And it's also important, you know. I mean, he's in, you know, he's in the music industry, and it's a it's a it's a shaky industry to say the least, you know. It's uh it's it truly is. And I mean, I I think again it goes back to, you know, the concept of the album and his life and it shows the good and the, you know, it shows the good but also the bad of both Everclear and the music industry, you know. I mean, there's there's and he's just talking to him too. I mean, you can hear cuz he's he's seen I feel like he's seen just about every side and has played, you know, I mean, has played Madison Square Garden and has also played the smallest dive bars, you know, like, I mean, he's one of those people who can kind of appreciate the spectrum of uh, music, you know, and, and what it means to be in a band. And, uh, you know, I, I think on this album, like, again, like he goes in and this is his first time just giving it his, you know, it is all him. It's not, it's not just him on drums or it's not just him on guitar and drums or whatever, like, this is him in every way, shape, and form. And, uh, I mean, just comes out really well. You know I mean? An album that, 
you know, I, I is a very obviously a very personal thing to the writer is something that you can listen to as a listener. And I mean, not only relate, but also just just also enjoy. You know what I mean? You can get where he's coming from, from from, uh, you know, just different places like I, you can tell it's personal. And I think it, it makes you care about it. You know what I mean? Like like as a listener, you kind of care about the writer because you can tell that, you know, what he's what he's singing about and what he's talking about is uh, just just a very like personal thing. And another thing too, like lyrically what I like is the tie-ins and the references that he has like for other songs throughout the album. Like it's kind of neat. So like one song, like on the first song, he he references chain wallets. And then the next song, track two is chain wallets. Like things like that where like, you know, you just hear him kind of reference like it's kind of like a whole like a hold steady album in that way where like you start picking up on that, which I love too, because it's not like you pick them all up on the first listen. Like every time you listen, you'll pick up something different. Like I, I forget what song it was, but I heard him reference a song title a few a few tracks before that song on the album just a few days ago. I, I just heard it for the first time. And again, I said I've been listening to this album for almost two years, and I'm just still picking up references and stuff throughout. And uh, I, it also does make me excited for a new Ulaz record, just because of how uh, inspired Greg sounds on this. I, I think when uh, when and they're working on it right now. And I think as soon as it uh, you know as soon as it gets finished up and everything, I think we're in for another good like alt rock album from him because he just seems very like I don't know. He seems like he's in a good place musically right now. Like he just really uh, he likes what he's doing. I think he knows what he wants to do. And uh, is also again just willing to jump into things. Just be like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, yeah, I'll try that. Like, and you have to be. You know what I mean? If you if you've been in in uh, in bands and doing music as long as he has, you have to kind of have that, or you just you know you kind of become jaded. And I can tell you from like collectively talking to Greg on the phone for like probably like at least five hours, maybe more like six. I mean, he is not a jaded person in the very least. Like. He is so far from like jaded or like living in the past or like, yeah, man, those glory days. Like the guy, the guy just continues to look forward and continues to create great art, you know? And I, I think on an album like this, it shows, you know, there, there's, again, there's little like nods to his past, but this album is just very, like, it, it's just so good. It stands on its own, you know? I mean, if you, if you're listening because you're a fan and you're interested to hear about like his life, or you're just, you know, a listener, just listening, you know, you you don't know who Greg Eklund is, but you're listening to his album Muffled Tears. It doesn't matter. Like, either way, I think you're gonna enjoy it. You know, you can you can be as dedicated to the album as you want. You can be dedicated to those references and tie-ins and go like, Oh, I bet this song's about, you know, oh, maybe this song's about this person, this song's about Everclear, this song's about this or that. Or you can just listen to it and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like you can just turn your head off and listen to it and go like, oh no, that's just a great song. You know, which I think an album like that is is great to have, uh, you know, to kind of have range like that where you can listen, uh, you know, in multiple moods. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. You're still going to enjoy it, you know. So it definitely makes me excited for a, uh, you know, for a new Ulaz record as well as he uh, he is writing. Last I interviewed him in September, he said he was working on another uh, album like about his life. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. This one was great. I'm excited to hear his uh, follow up to Muffled Tears. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it'll be a while before it's out. This one just came out. But, uh, you know, still, I'm very I, I love uh, I love what Greg does no matter what band he's in. And uh, I'm very excited to see him kind of branch out more and do more solo stuff than, uh, you know, just doing straight up full band stuff. 
But uh, really good. I mean, this whole album is great, but top three songs, I would say the opening track, Liberation, uh, the song She Came, which just very much, that one That one is one in particular that gets me excited for the Ulaz because that one kind of has a Ulaz like uh, vibe to it and just really, really good. And uh, another one which I love, and I'm a fool for a good bass line, and I think that's why I like it so much, but the uh, song Shine On. And moving on to number six, it is Glow On by Turnstile. They put this one out back in August on Roadrunner Records. I'm seeing this one. I think I've seen more uh, top ten lists with this on it than uh, than I've seen top ten lists without it on it. And this is another one. This is Tiger's job, but maybe even more. I, I will tell you, I was so far from a Turnstile fan for the longest time. I was just... Like, I, I remember them, as the old man that I am, I remember seeing them live in 2015 at, uh, I forget the official name, it was like Spring Fling, it was uh, in Cleveland, and my main my main band for going was to see the movie Life, and uh, but anyway, Turnstile was there, and I had heard of Turnstile before that, and I heard a few songs, like, I mean, they, even, even back then, like, they had a hype around them and everything, and seeing them live, like, I got it. Like, they were great live, but I'm just not into that, like, East. Like, I, I thought they sounded like a throwback to, like, East Coast, like, New York City hardcore. And they are, they're from Baltimore, but, like, even more specifically, like, a New York hardcore band. I even thought they were from New York, honestly, when I first heard them. But um, it just, it, you know, not my cup of tea, that straight, like, just hardcore, not really my thing. Like, live, it was... People were going nuts, like live, like people were going fucking crazy. Like they were, they were good live, but I, it was just not my thing. And I mean, I never would have expected, uh, to, for Turnstile to put an album that I liked this much, you know, to, to even kind of enjoy it all, but to like as much as I like Glow On, I never, I never would have, uh, guessed at all that it, that would grab my attention the way it did. But I think it did that for a lot of people. Um, you know, cause again, like it seems like, like I remember the hype train form years ago, but like, I feel like, like now they've, uh, and I didn't realize how big they'd gotten either. I, I don't think until, until more recently, but I mean, well, more than well-deserved. I mean, they really found, you want to talk about like a crossover, like hardcore album, like in, in a way where you go like, Oh, this could actually have like traction. Like this could be played on rock radio and like this this band i mean it already has you know i mean they were just playing on uh i believe it was seth meyer's show a few weeks back i mean like they're getting they're getting more mainstream attention you know probably in ways that they wouldn't have like on that first record you know just straight up hardcore but they've really like they've they've really successfully done it in a way where it just i mean it, it just everything works so perfectly with it i went back to like because i like this album so much i went back and listened to their last album time and space and I like that album. You can hear, like, you can hear where they're going. Like, that album, like, I heard Glow On first, but going back time and space, you hear where those ideas are. That They're not fully realized yet, but you get where they're going. And I think on Glow On, they, they figured it out. Like, like, what they wanted on time and space, I think they, they successfully did more on a Glow On. I mean, just, just the, the blending of everything. The whole R and B influence, those synths on there. I mean, like everything works so well. Like, there's things that work so well in this that shouldn't. Like, by no means should work as well as they do. 
but just everything they like seem to put together. And this kind of goes back to with like bands who who just get it on the first album and sometimes it takes time. Like this is, you know, this is album number three for them. And it seems like they're now starting to just hit like that creative stride and like shaping their like, you know, like that signature sound, like the sound that, that people think of when they think of the band. Like I, I think on album number three, they're just finally starting to really get to that. Cause again, like that old stuff, like if you're into, if you're into just like hardcore, Sure, it's it's great. It's heavy riffing and everything, but like, you know, there's not much else there for like any, you know, for a listener who's into like anything else besides that. Whereas on this one, there's enough there where they're kind of, you know, they're they're getting they're getting kind of uh it's a band where people can kind of meet in the middle with them, you know, and I I think that's so that's so cool. You know, you don't you can be like even that, like you can be more like I mean myself where I listen to like look at I listen to fucking pop punk and stuff. I admit it. And I you know, I, I probably listen to a lot more things that wouldn't be uh considered hardcore, but I think I think you could come from my side where it's like, oh shit, like you can be into like pop punk and far far from sounding like pop punk. But I mean, look at like a song like Mystery and tell me that that's not a song that like someone who's into like pop punk music wouldn't wouldn't hear that and get hooked to. You know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't matter. The rest of the album sounds like you you get into the rest of the album. But like there's just certain songs that I think will like initially maybe you're not turnstiles like like initial like person they're going for. But you'll hear something in that song and then you'll like listen to the rest of it. And, and like soon enough, you're into the whole album, like the whole album. It doesn't take long to enjoy it all. Like, like at first I was into like a few songs on it. Then I got a little more to where I liked like half of it. And now it's like, oh no, you, you just hit, you hit play on, on mystery and you let the whole thing go through. It's, I mean, it's 15 songs and, uh, it's great. The whole, the whole way through, there's really not like a shitty song on it at all. Um, you know, it, and like, it's the thing too, is it, it goes, you know, mentioning, mentioning pop punk as being kind of a, can be a closed minded genre, you know, where like the listeners are kind of closed minded and want something to sound a certain way and won't accept anything else. Hardcore can be the same way. Like hardcore, I think can be a very closed minded genre and, uh, you know, not, not one that derives influences from a bunch of different places where turnstile says, fuck that. Like they blend influences and reach far, you know, far from the depths of what you would find, you know, their contemporaries doing or, or reaching to, you know, to write music. Like they just, they're on another level. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're just doing something so totally different from what everyone else is doing. You know, like they're on their own, they're like just on their own fucking level with like what they're doing. And I think that's amazing. Like, again, like this is coming from someone who never was a turnstile fan, could not get into them. And, you know, I kind of, I, I started listening to this album after hearing everyone talk about it, including people who I wouldn't really think would be as into turnstile as they were. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I was just like them where again, like seeing it on all these top 10 lists, there's a bunch of people who I wouldn't expect to see a uh, turnstile on their top 10 list either. But I mean, there it is, you know, it seems to be grabbing a lot of attention from uh, other people, which I think is a band that's like the number th- one thing you could ask for like who wants to on album number three you don't just want all the people who bought album number one and two to buy it I mean yeah you want them to buy it but you would like other people to like discover you and get into it you know and I I think this is this is like what they're doing on here I I would be very interested too just because of all the different all the different stuff they do and I know they've toured so they've they've probably played a good chunk of this album live but hearing those songs and how they pull off some of this stuff live I would be uh 
I'd be very much uh, interested to hear. But uh, just a really, really great album. I mean, the fact that it's number six on, on, if you have not heard it yet, or you're for some reason on the fence of it too, and you weren't that into Turnstile in the past, I mean, I can tell you the fact that it's number six on my list uh, is really a testament to how good it is, like 100%. And uh, top three on this one, great, great opener with Mystery. The song Holiday, I think that was maybe the first one that uh, got me got me into the album, I think Holiday. And uh, Lonely Desires, the closer on that one, really, really good closer, just really fun. And that's another one. It's funny. I think that does show, as I was talking about, like where my influences or like my, you know, the things I like to listen to are, because I think uh, Mystery and Lonely Desire both kind of have that. Again, they're not, by no means are they pop punk. Do not go into this thinking I'm calling them pop punk or that you're going to listen to a pop punk record. But like those songs, I, again, like I, I think have, have those, have like, characteristics to them where you go oh yeah i could see where it would pull someone in who was into something like that and then kind of pull them into turnstile where you know like again i'm not normally the guy who's listening to them whereas now they got me hooked i'm i'm definitely uh gonna be paying attention to what they're doing for sure and uh i'm sure i'll be on board with the uh, next record but we're now at the halfway point at number five and recent guests of the show we got love breakers with their album primary colors this one came out back in june of 2021 on wiretap records this album just oozes summer day vibes it doesn't matter when you're listening to it you could go listen to it for the first time right now in january and uh It'll make you feel it'll make you feel like you're in the middle of July in like Los Angeles. It's just it it's such a and I love albums. You know, I'm I'm I don't shy away from that. I talk all the time about how certain albums are perfect for night drives, certain albums are perfect for the summertime. There's good, you know, winter albums. Like, you know, I, I love it and I think this one right away, I mean, you know, the just being out for one summer, but it's already one that I think is going to become, you know, very, very soon a quintessential summer record. It's just, it's, it's so perfect in every way. It, the album cover, the album title, the songs, the production, like everything just, just comes together to just make, you know, just the perfect album for that, you know, for that time of year for just rolling your windows down on a sunny day, blasting the songs, you know, there, there's huge, Every song sounds like it could be a hit. Like there's not a there's not a song on this album that doesn't sound like it couldn't be on the radio. You know, like there there's no reason why this band couldn't get really big. I mean, huge choruses that you you remember forever. Great shimmering guitars, like the guitar tones on here are just like like I love them. They're very the tone is distinct. Like it is something where I listen to like the leads on there and the tone and also the way that the leads are played are just very like it sounds like like I know they only have one record, but it's like oh, it sounds like Love Breakers, which also they they seem to on album one already have a pretty realized sound. Like it's not a it's not a wishy washy debut. This seems like a fully realized debut with a band who knows what they want to do. You know, they know what they want to sound like. They know what they want to accomplish. They know you know they knew they wanted this to be a sunny record. And uh, all of it comes out like they like everything they were going for. I think they executed perfectly on this. It's just so and and going back to guitar leads too. Like the guitar leads are catchy and they stick in your head just like the lyrics to a song would. Like you know, like a hook to a song. Like those leads get in your head. Like you just start like thinking of them the same way you would like a line that you really liked in a chorus or something. I mean, which not all you know, not everyone can do that. And on on this one, I think. Uh, I think that guitar uh, pops out just as much as, uh, you know, in ways that 
you just don't hear all uh, all bands uh, get to do, you know, which is really, really cool. And at the same time, too, like, they're all killer, no filler. Like, you listen to this album, and it's no frills. Like, they could replicate all these songs live. Like, this isn't this isn't a band where you listen to that and go, oh, you know, like, it sounds great on record, but I wonder I wonder if they can even pull this off, like, in a live setting. Like, it's it's a just a straight-up rock band just, you know, firing on, on all cylinders. You know, there, there's not a bunch of, like, mimics or surprises. It's just a straightforward, like, fun record you know and it's an album that grows on you by first listen it's not it's not one that takes forever to get into by by you know eye roller by the end of the first song eye roller you're uh you're all about it you're like oh, okay i can i can get behind this band I, I like what they're doing and uh you know kind of they're also the kind of band that i think can play and it's very important as you if you can't tell yet by this list and and me kind of like saying some of the strong points of the uh, albums i love this year it's it's the fact that they're like, you know, they could play to a wide a, with a wide array of different bands. You know what I mean? Like they're about to go on tour with Social Distortion, but like they could go play with like a band like Newfound Glory or something. Like they would fit. They would fit on a bill with like you know something like that, like a more pop punk or even like poppy, like more like pop rock oriented. Like they can they can kind of fit in and play with the best of them. You know, which I I think is such a. Uh, such a cool thing, you know, the wide array of uh, influences. And talking to them, too, when I talked to uh, Jack and Christian of the band, you know, they are kind of talking about that, that all four dudes kind of have, you know, there's certain, they have commonalities and they, def- they definitely have influences that they kind of uh, all agree upon, but, like, they're all kind of different where they come from musically, and blending those all together gives you the Love Breakers sound, which, uh, you know, definitely, it makes sense because it is, it's a unique, you know, it's a unique sound and a unique album, you know what I mean? It's clean, it's shimmering, it's catchy, but it's still like, you know, these guys are still, you know, like punks and stuff. And you can tell that they still know their music, you know, and they're not they're not like, you know, just, oh, we're writing catchy songs like they they know where they're coming from and they know like talking influences with them is great. Like they can just they name off all these great, great influences from all these different places and you get where the sound comes from because you start going okay well if you mix that artist with that band with that you know guy with that girl you, you know you just you do you start going like oh okay that's where you get the love breaker sound you know and uh i love it i love that record i talked it up a ton i've been playing it all year and uh having those guys on uh just about a month ago is only a few uh, episodes back was just absolutely great those dudes those dudes were absolutely a blast to talk to and uh, really, just just them being that nice made the album even like I already liked the album, but like them being good dudes is like oh, it makes you enjoy it that much more. But uh, top three songs on that one would have to be Horizons, Laura, and Set in Gold. And again, all these are on a uh, Spotify our uh, this week's Spotify playlist that you can go check out whenever you are uh, done with this episode. You can go hear these songs, and uh, there's some good stuff on here. There's some real good stuff, like all those Love Breaker songs right there. Moving on, we're getting almost to the top three here, but number four, Liquids with Life is Pain, Idiot. Best best album title of the year. This was a self-release, and way back in the beginning of 2021 in January, this one, I mean, was almost a fluke how I discovered it. It was like on a, it's like that recommended for you, like those videos on YouTube on the side where like they're they're just they're recommended for you if you can't tell what I'm talking about, and uh, 
it just like with the album artwork and the name of it, just liquids, life is pain, idiot. And just this album cover of like what looks like a kind of a blurry, like photograph of a woman smoking a cigarette on a couch. Kind of looks like it's from the eighties or the nineties and just everything about it. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll click on that. I'll check it out. And, uh, right away I was into it. This, this album kicks in on track one and never stops. I mean, and it's not, it's not a short record. I mean, it's in terms, in terms of how many songs it's 27 songs. So it ain't short, but it's only 43 minutes long. So those songs are very, are uh, very short. We're, we're talking again, all killer, no filler here as well, where, uh, you know, they're not, they're not boring you with ballads or like, you know, slow acoustic songs. Every song on this record is just is just a fiery just you know a fiery car crash just rapid punk rock very 80s influenced like very much like like they would fit perfectly if you had a playlist of all 80s hardcore bands like hardcore punk influenced like they would fit on a on a mixtape between like Black Flag and Minor Threat this band would have no problem fitting in on there you wouldn't you wouldn't even be able to tell that you know it was a song from 2021 at all and uh, another another thing I love about it, I think too, talking about like some of the bands that I think they sound like, very uh, I get very early replacements vibe, very much a Sorry Ma and like Stink era uh, replacements vibe from them, which also goes to you know because Sorry Ma maybe didn't have twenty seven songs, but that had like I think nineteen or twenty something like that, and uh, you know again just short and sweet songs. And, you know, never taking itself too seriously. You know, Liquid's kind of, they, they, all the songs are, are pretty, uh, are pretty humorous. And like some of them, some of them go kind of into like Misfits territory. Like they're not a horror, like a horror core punk band or anything like that, you know, or not all their, not all their songs are like that stuff. Like the Misfits are, but like, you know, like their song Werewolves on there and stuff. There's, there's a few that definitely remind me of, uh, of Misfits for sure. But as well as that, like replacements uh, influence in there, they do a cover of Kiss's "Strutter," which uh, to me just reminds me so much of just in the same spirit as uh, the replacements cover of Kiss's "Black Diamond." Like just a punk band doing an amazing, you know, cover of a classic rock song and just like really making it its own and just doing a really, really good job. Like that's honestly one of the uh, that 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 cover of "Strutter" is like one of the uh, highlights, I would say, of the album. But uh, another thing, too, that I like about it, sounds like it was recorded on, like, a Fostex 4-track, but at the same time, it has, like, good production value. Like, it's not hard to listen to. Like, it doesn't it doesn't sound like it was recorded much differently than, like, a lot of bands who, like, record tapes on, like, cassettes, but it's not, like, a shitty recording. Like, everything sounds really well. It's, like, mixed really well. Like, it, it just the style of it. Like, it has that, like... You know what I mean? Like it's almost it. It sounds like an old like Black Flag record or something, but I would I would almost argue sounds like bet like sonically sounds better. Like you can listen to it; it doesn't sound all all fucking like muddy and stuff like that. It's like really uh, like well put together. But you can tell like where it's like coming from. And uh, Matt's voice, who uh, I don't. There's not a lot about this band. Like they uh, like this album is not on Spotify. The band's not on social media. Um, you can, I mean, like I, I discovered them on YouTube. You can grab this album on Bandcamp. But I believe Matt played uh, everything on it. I, I think basically Liquids is a one-man band. I don't know if they play live or not. 
But uh, his voice reminds me very much of like Pete Shelley of the Buzzcocks and a lot of other early like UK punk bands. Even though they're a band from Indianapolis, but uh, they have like I I would say a kind of you know outside of like the hardcore like punk influence of the eighties, I would also say like the UK punk of like the late seventies. You can also hear in there, including in uh, Matt's voice, and I, I just it works so well. It's one of those albums that sounds like it's from a different era. But it, it can stand on its own because sometimes bands do that and it's just too gimmicky or sounds like a novelty where this one doesn't. You know what I mean? Like it, you can tell again where they're coming from, but it's like it doesn't feel like it's just a rehash of something old or it's like supposed to be this thing. Like it sits, it's it, it holds its own as just a great punk rock record. Like no, like with all the other stuff, just it just fits on its own. You can you can listen to it in that context of it sounding like a lot of those old bands. But you could also just put this on and go, this is just great fucking punk rock. And uh, I, I would definitely I would definitely say go check it out. Some exceptional guitar playing throughout it too. There's like like there's some guitar solos that just pop up in places where you're not expecting it. Like I like that. Like they keep you on your toes at times where you're like you wouldn't you wouldn't really think they were going there and they'll just throw something in where I'm like, God damn, like that is really, really good. But uh, top three on this one, and there's a lot to choose from, but I, I strongly suggest since it's not on Spotify, just going and grabbing this whole fucking thing on Bandcamp. But I would say top three songs on this one, Prison Food, More Than a Friend, which probably has my favorite guitar solo on the whole album on it, and uh, Don't Want to Get to Know You, which a uh, really, really good song right there, track two on the album. And, you know, album album openers are great, but a track two is also great. Like after you like burst in on track one, like where you go after that and uh, don't want to get to know you really, really good. Sets a, sets a nice pace for the rest of the record. But going into our top three now, we got Pardoner at number three. We came down different. This one came out back in May on Bar None Records. And this one, what I love about it, and it's, it's kind of like with that Liquids record, but maybe even more, it sounds like an old, it sounds like an older album but it's like it sounds like it's full of like familiar favorites. Like the first time you listen to this album, you feel like you've heard these songs before. Like like there's songs you've been singing along to since the nineties. Like there's melodies in it and stuff that you go, like, I've I've heard this before. Like I've this has been my favorite band forever. You know what I mean? Like even though this album just came out, you just you had this connection right away with them. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't take long, which is also like for a band who's actually as experimental and can can kind of be out there as partner can be at times. Like they're I don't feel like they were hard to get into at all. Like if you're into like nineties like alt rock, kind of like stoner alt rock, um like right away was like a fan of them. Just I, I heard their song Bunny's Taxi and like right from the beginning was just like, All right, like yeah, I'm into this. I gotta I gotta hear the rest of it. And uh, when the rest of the album came out, it did not disappoint at all. It is very much like 90s-influenced alt-rock, I would say. But there's traces of also, like, there's some Velvet Underground, I would say. Like, their song Lucky Day, you definitely hear a lot of Velvet Underground in there. Um, My Bloody Valentine, 100%, um, and as well as the Stooges. The 90s all over it. I mean, Dinosaur Jr. would be a, uh, would be a good comparison, and I'm sure one that they, uh, that they get a lot. But, like... They like at the same time, though, they don't sound like none of the songs really sound the same. They kind of have that they kind of have that similarity to turnstiles glow on where like, you know, you you can't pinpoint one influence like it is 90 like same with turnstile like turnstile definitely has that like 90. You hear people say that like that 90s vibe and that 90s influence. 
But like they go other places where it's like, you know, they, they make sure that they don't let you just pigeonhole them into one thing. And it's the same thing on here. I mean, there's lots of flanger and chorus pedal, just like Turnstile does, just like you hear in all that 90s music. But like they still will change shit up enough where they, you know, they won't stay like, like as soon as you hear one song, like Donna said, the first song on the album, like if they continued in that vein by track three or four, you might just go, oh, yeah, this band just really likes like Dinosaur Jr. or whatever. But like they don't do that, you know, even even by track two with I Want to Get High to the Music, it, uh, you know, it's already changing up enough where it's like they, you know, they're they're going all around doing this different shit, doing their own sound where it's like, hey, like this, this is what we listen to. You can probably kind of tell what we like, but we're not we're not just those bands. You know, we're not just straight up that band that you might, you know, compare us to. And uh, their singer, Max, his phrasings, I, I absolutely love. They're just so unique and fit perfectly with the music. He just kind of does that, like, half singing, half talking, you know, kind of a kind of a doesn't give a shit but cares at the same time. You know, like, it doesn't mean anything, but it means everything all at once. And it just works very, very well, like, with what they're doing and with, with the music, including that whole, like, kind of, stoner just stoner like 90s kind of vibe that it has that his uh his voice just like works perfectly with everything they do and it's just the album is just so far from predictable it just goes places you never expect it to songs can change their vibes in a second that one i mentioned a minute ago lucky day that starts off sounding very much like the velvet underground i mean that it gets to a point where it sounds very much the opposite of the velvet underground and it goes back to sounding like the velvet underground seamlessly like just done so so well. The the songs on this they had they have a few uh, other releases like Partner. I think I think they have like one album out before this, and then a bunch of like EPs and like one off things and stuff. And like you know it it's good, but on this they're really they kind of took all of that, but they also like kind of kind of got like I don't want to say they like matured their sound, but they kind of took that and also just you know probably from playing and different shit like that honed it just really honed it in and made like you know the the old stuff is good but none of it grabs my attention again like I don't feel like I go back and listen to their like older stuff as much whereas this album they'll they'll capture you right away like you gotta you gotta listen to this album all the time I know when it came out I was listening to it non-stop and I mean I still listen to it a uh, a bunch it, it's it's I'm excited to hear too like what they follow up this with because they just seem they seem like a band who doesn't want to keep rewriting the same song. Like I don't see them wanting to make came down different part two. Like this isn't a band that you have to worry about just sticking to like one thing. Like they are far, far from that, you know, they'll, they will keep things interesting. Same with the lyrics. Lyrics are another one that like, they aren't super straightforward at times and they can be a little cryptic. So it's like, you know, they're open for a little more for interpretation than just straight up. Hey, this is obviously what this song is about. And I like that because sometimes the lines too will catch you out of nowhere. You go, did he just like, wait, did he just say like what I thought he said? Cause it's like it in your head, it doesn't make sense. But then you look up the lyrics and he did. And it's like, oh, like, I guess it's just this kind of like he's being cryptic or maybe I'm just reading too far in it. Maybe he's just fucking talking gibberish. But you know, there's, there's certain times where, yeah, you listen to like some of his lyrics. I think it's interesting cause there'll be a line or something that'll like pop up out of nowhere in the song that just kind of strikes you, you know, and I, I think that's interesting. I think it, it kind of, it's just another thing that grabs your attention early on and uh, makes you fall in love with partner, you know, and there's a lot to fall in love with here. I, uh, I really like this album, but top three on this one, I want to get high to the music. Great, great song. 
Bunny's Taxi, the one that got me into them, and the opener on that one, really, I mean, you will hear the 90s influence right away on track one, and that is Donna Said, and uh, yeah, uh, on there. If you're into that kind of thing, too, like, if you like Dinosaur Jr. and Pavement and Archers of Loaf and, like, stuff like that, I, I think uh, Donna Said, like, right away, you'll you'll be into it. I don't, I don't think it'll take long for you to be as into them as uh, I am. But moving on to number two, we're getting towards the end here. We got Sincere Engineer with Bless My Psyche. This one came out in September on Hopeless Records. Well worth the four-year wait. I've been waiting for a follow-up for Ron Bithian since it came out in 2017. That was my number one album, actually, of 2017. And, uh, yeah, I've been excited for uh, new music since then. And it it did not it did not disappoint at all. They're... Uh, you know, it's a it's a nice follow up. It, it's not, you know, they didn't like abandon the things I love about the first album, but they take chances on this one. Like they're continuing to grow their sound. I think you hear songs like like Recluse in the Making and their song Dry Socket, both great great songs. Like definitely highlights of the new album. And I don't think you'd hear songs like that on Ron Bithian. You know, like I mean, I, I think I think there's certain songs on this where you go, oh yeah, like you know, like you hear them just kind of progress. But it's like, oh, yeah, like it's a more, you know, you, you hear it in the vein of Ron Bithian, whereas like they're, they'll take chances on this record where I go, oh, I don't think you would have heard this on the last one. Like they they really kind of, uh, you know, take it different places. That's not just what a straight up, you know, punk band might do. Um, you know, I mean, in, including like there's there's like organ all over this, like in a way like Recluse in, in the making being one where like the organ on it and everything, even just the tempo of the song. It, it almost reminds me of like the Counting Crows or the Wallflowers or something, which, you know, might not be your first thought for Sincere Engineer when you're thinking of what they sound like. But like certain things will pop up in your head and it's like and it works, too. It works perfectly. But, uh, you know, they took chances. They didn't just try writing just all a bunch of like rockers on this one. They, uh, you know, they kind of continued on with what they were doing on uh, Rombithian and, you know, kind of building off that and doing new things. But you can also hear, too, like that Chicago scene influence that is on the first album. You know, I think Deanna doesn't hide her love. You know, they come from Chicago, but she doesn't hide her love for, you know, like the Lawrence Arms and the Broke Downs and Alkaline Trio and, you know, just all the. I mean, Chicago has such a rich history of just great punk rock bands. And uh, I think you can hear the influence on this one, which is a great thing. I mean, I I, uh, I definitely welcome that. I know, like, come up, like come out for a spell. I think that has heavy alkaline trio vibes. I think that song very much. Uh, that's kind of one I've used for a few people. If I was trying to that, I've tried getting into a sincere engineer that I know are into uh, alkaline trio. I use that song. I go, hey, like this song kind of reminds me of alkaline trio. Check this out, and uh, I definitely think it does. So I mean, they they're carrying that torch. Sincere engineer is definitely carrying that torch. For like rad Chicago bands, you know, and I, and I think you can hear the uh, some of those some of those past bands of that scene in uh, in Sincere Engineer, which is very cool to to you know hear it in newer bands who are doing it. The production on this album too, I gotta say, it sounds a lot bigger and fuller than it did on Rombithian. Not that not the production on that one was bad, but I just think this one sounds huge. Like there's there's songs on this just just sound so big. Like coming in last, like there's. There's parts where I'm like, yeah, like I could hear them playing this song in a really, really big place. Like they just, you know, they're they're made, they're kind of anthemic in a in a way that like a lot of the songs on Rombithian you didn't particularly hear so much. And uh, exceptional rhythm section. I mean, the whole band, they're all really good. Uh, they're all really good musicians. But I mean, uh, Nick and Adam, great bass player and great drummer. There, they uh, they really do some great shit on there. Like. 
I, I think as a musician, you can uh, just listening to him, like you can appreciate what they're doing. Like he he has some great drum, including at those tempos. I'm always something that impresses me with drummers or drummers playing at really fast tempos who can still do like a really good drum fill and like kind of throw in these little extras and embellishes like. Just because you're playing at such a fast speed, I feel like it'd be harder to meticulously kind of throw some of that stuff in instead of just playing like a straight beat. But uh, you know, no, like on on here, they they're really like they're just great at their instruments. They're uh, you know, it's another one where it's it's like pop punk emo, but it's like it's more than that, and it's like the best it's the best version of those things being made at the moment. You know what I mean? Like you can find bands that that have that their sound has certain things that you find in Sincere Engineer, but they're still not as good as Sincere Engineer. You know, they just possess, they possess something more. I also think Deanna's lyrics are such a big, as they were on the first album, I think her lyrics are just very much, uh, she's very candid and open, but her, but with that, her lyrics are also very, like, relatable. You know, like, right away, it's not like Partner. Partner, you have to listen to a song a few times to get what, what you know, they're singing about or even what the words are. Whereas with Sincere Engineer, the first time you listen, I mean, she's not really hiding what the songs are about. You know, Sincere Engineer is not really supposed to be, like, they're not really writing super cryptic songs. They're pretty out in the open, which, again, just makes them, I think, that much more... Uh, you know, relatable and everything, which, you know, not, not to take anything away from like cryptic lyrics and stuff like that. I think it just depends on your mood and time and place and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, I think one of the reasons why sincere engineer keeps getting so big. And I think this album has a lot of buzz for them is like, it just is. I think she writes lyrics that, you know, are obviously sincere and no pun intended and are just relatable right away. Like, you know, it, it, it's like, listen, when you go like, oh shit, like, yeah, I I know what she's singing about and I felt, and I feel that way or I felt that way too. So, you know, uh, just a continuation of the greatness that was Rombithian, but also like, you know, I mean, getting, getting stronger on certain things, but also taking chances. Like I applaud them for that, for taking some chances on this album that like, again, like they, they wouldn't have to, you know, I think Rombithian had enough of a, uh, of a of a buzz and people talking about it that they put out a second one. You know, I think I think they would still garner some attention because people who were fans of the first one would be telling like their friends and shit about like, oh, you gotta check out like they're about you know this great band's about to put out another album. But the fact that they went out and did different things, I think, is also what's pulling more people in. Like, I, I get, I actually think they fit on Hopeless pretty well. Like at first, I thought that was a weird signing to be honest. I was like, I don't know how they how they'd fit on Hopeless, but like now that they're on there and everything. I uh, I I think they work well. Kind of same with Tiger's Jaw. Like I never thought of Tiger's Jaw, which also it shows that Hopeless has kind of changed their roster in recent years. Because in like ten years ago, I don't I don't know that I that I could have saw Tiger's Jaw being on Hopeless. Maybe Sincere Engineer, but like I think I think Sincere Engineer ten years ago would have been less of a stretch. But like I don't think Tiger's Jaw you would have heard on Hopeless. But like it's cool to see Hopeless. Uh, signing some of these some of these bands that again I don't think you would have saw them sign years ago but uh they definitely are now and they seem yeah like this album seems to be this was a good home for it on hopeless and uh you know hopefully it just keeps keeps doing good for them I think the other key is just more touring like I think as they plan to do I think the more they tour and uh you know just opening for bigger bands I know they're going to go on tour with the Menzingers here soon which is a perfect crowd for them I think they're going to get a bunch of people who have never heard of them before and uh, they're going to be into it right away. Like, it's not going to be hard to convert Menzinger fans into Sincere Engineer fans at all. And uh, top three on this one, coming in last, that one just sounds so big and full. Uh, I could hear that one in Arena, to be honest. Another one, Recluse in the Making. I love that one. And that goes the other way. That one's one of the more softer 
uh, songs they've ever written, and I really, really like it. And uh, and at number three there for my top three songs off it, the very Alkaline Trio influenced, I would say, I'm taking the liberties there, maybe, maybe it's not Alkaline Trio influenced at all, but uh, Come Out for a Spell, definitely a big Alkaline Trio vibes there. And number one, you've been listening now for an hour, almost an hour and 20 minutes. You're wondering what my number one is. And uh, if you listen to the show at all, you probably already know what it is because I gloated about loving it all all year round and uh, wondering if anything was going to knock it out of its number one spot for me. And I can tell you, a year later, it has not. At number one, my favorite album of 2021, hands down, no debate, it is The Dirty Nil with Fuck Art. I love this record. It came out January 1st of 2021. Now, I I mean, let me set this up for a second, and I, I still kind of, I smile when I think about it again, because I, I forget as time goes on, but like, The Dirty Nil released an album called Fuck Art with just this dog smiling on the front of it, and it just says nil in big pink letters, and they release it on January 1st. And then not only that, but really in a time where bands are pushing back the release of their albums, sometimes they're just not releasing the album at all because you know you can't tour on it or anything, including that. If you remember back to January of 2021, we were not in a great place, you know, like pandemic-wise. Like everything was shut down. We were far from any concerts going on besides, you know, that's still live stream city back then. And, uh, you know, the Dirty Nil just come out right away on day one of 2021 with this record. And, I mean, just... It had like it has to be good. Like you, you have to have a you have to have a little bit of like you know obviously self confidence. You got to have a little bit of cockiness, and just overall you got to have some good fucking songs to release your album, call it fuck art, and release it first day of the year. And they did it, and my god, was it? I mean, it, it's so good. Like like they they knew they had something good on their hands when they when they put it out that way cuz you know if you if you think you have a lukewarm album I don't I don't think that's the way to roll to roll it out but uh they did it that way and I've loved it since January 1st of last year it is uh it's now over a year old which is crazy it was funny on the radio show when I was doing my top 10 the other day for this um we got past midnight and I was still doing my top three. So really by the time I got to this album and started talking about it, it was past midnight. So it was January 1st. So it was like, it was a, it was kind of a, Hey, this is my number one album of the year slash happy anniversary to this album. Cause it came out a year ago today. And uh, yeah, I mean this, this record, it's just such a fun album to listen to. Like it's, it's, fun listen like that's the best way to put it like you will have a good time listening to this album like and maybe that sounds funny but like there's just certain ones that you can listen to and you just have a good time like I mean the first song on here doom boy like I mean just it it's a band that doesn't take themselves too seriously just a song about you know just just trying to get a a, a girl who's into turnstile and the crow mags to fall in love with you you know what I mean like it's just it's so and and like what the dirty nil do, which I love, is they take they take out of the book of the replacements where you can be silly, you can write fun songs, you can write lyrics that that you know a line that makes someone laugh, but you can still be clever and genuine. And that's the dirty nil. I think that's been the dirty nil for quite a bit of their career, but I think maybe on this album more than any others. I mean, it's a band who 
makes an album that's really fun to listen to that has songs like Doom Boy on it, but still has substance. It's still a great record. Like it's still a record that you can put on when you're feeling down or, you know, when you need something to relate to. Like all of it's there. You know what I mean? It's it's very much the the, you know, again, like I always say, one of the greatest things about the replacements, you look at an album like Let It Be. You have a song like Unsatisfied on there, and you also have a song called Gary's Got a Boner. Both of those exist on that album and both are great. You know, both sides are great. And that's the same thing on here. The serious side, the side that you relate to, like, you know, when you listen to like a song like Hang Your Moon, and I mean, he's, you know, he's talking about serious stuff there, you know, about himself. But like, there's also, you can, you can laugh at certain lines and like, there's certain just clever parts. Like the whole, the whole second um, verse, like when, when he just like hums the melody, the, the, he just does like doot, doot, dude. I, I can't sing it, but if you go hear it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's just the way, the way he does it after let's pretend my bad habits, I will end. And then he just starts like humming. That's so clever. It's just such a, it reminds me of like the Menzingers on the impossible past on uh I can't seem to tell like when Greg like goes, remember the days when I had a conscious conscience and like, instead of saying anything right away, it's kind of silent for a minute and it kind of goes, yeah, me neither. It's just this really clever, like, you know what I mean? Like it's funny. Like it kind of makes you kind of smile or laugh, but it's also sit, you know what I mean? Like at the same time, like there is sincerity and there's a little more to that line than just, you know, a joke per se. And I love I love when bands do that. I absolutely love that's why they're placements are my favorite band. And I think they're the kings of that. And I think the dirty nil, even at times where like, look at Doom Boy doesn't sound like the replacements by any means, but you can hear again that like the lyrics are clever and shit. Like it's it's not like they pulled them out of their ass. Like it's a really well crafted song. Great, great guitar solo and uh, and a very hard song to play. Very difficult. Like these guys are great musicians, but at the same time, they don't take themselves seriously. Like they are, you know, at least too seriously. Like the music video for the song fucking hilarious you know i mean let's listen to slayer in the back of my mom's dodge caravan like just it's great you know what i mean like everything about it is uh is absolutely great it's a really good follow-up i think to master volume i think it still keeps a lot of the heaviness but i think it's a it, it is a lighter of an album i would say like like it, it is a little bit lighter like still doesn't lose the heaviness and the riffs and stuff but it's not as it's not as heavy, which I mean, don't get me wrong. You still got like the rider dies and uh, damage control. Like you still got the fucking rocker, like just the the big like fat, like rider die sounds like a Motorhead song. That song sounds like Motorhead wrote it. But uh, I do think on this one of all their albums, this one has more of the not pop, but maybe pop sensibilities. You know what I mean? Like you, like the chorus, like you listen to a song like uh, blunt force concussion. I think one of the best songs on the album and like a song like that, where it's like, it's pure dirty nil, but it's also very catchy and has like a, I would almost say like the chorus, even like that, that, that chorus in the song reminds me of something you'd have heard like on rock radio in the early two thousands, like even sandwiched in between like a sum 41 and maybe like maybe even like a Fountains of Wayne or something like that. You know what I mean? Kind of like both sides of it, like the power pop side and like the pop punk side. But um, you know, like the dirty nil, like and also being a trio. Like you want to talk about a good power trio? It is insane how loud and full this band sound is with just three just three people. That's it. That is, there's no rhythm guitar there. And Luke Bentham, 
their singer and guitar player. I mean, just musically huge influence on me. I, I was lucky enough to uh, interview him a few months after Fuck Art came out early in uh, last year. And, like, just I loved picking his brain because I was already a fan, but I think I might have even become a bigger fan since then just from just talking to him and also just listening to this album even more and more. Um, but, like, his guitar playing, like, and also as a singer, not just being the only guitar player, but he's also singing, which makes it harder to play really intricate leads. But, like, his guitar playing fills out the sound where you never feel like they need a second one. There's no need for a rhythm guitar player. Like, and his vocals too, like talk about, I mean, just a rock scream, like his, his, he can just scream his fucking head off and it's just beautiful. Like it's beautiful. The guitar solos, the like loud, you know, like the rock screams and stuff like they really make like rock music fun in a way like in a way that it hasn't been in a long time you know like they do things they take things out of the book too like they don't even like like a lot of stuff that they do that's so good isn't even like something they invented like they're not even like making something new up they're doing something that you don't hear anymore you know what i mean they're they're going back through they know their influences they know their roots and they're going back and and taking not even taking but being influenced by things that other people have forgotten about or kind of you know kind of steered away from in rock music and it's like the dirty nils bring it back and remind you like fuck no like you need you need some of the stuff like i'll tell you like guitar solos like I'm not always the biggest guitar solo guy. Like I'm just, I, I think I come from that world of punk where shitty guitar playing and power chords, like, you know, like the Ramones, the Ramones, Johnny Ramone doesn't play guitar solos. Like, you know, I think I come a lot of times from that kind of camp. And like, again, and a lot of times like the guitar, guitar players just aren't really proficient enough where it's not really, you know, bands where they, they're probably going to be shredding their fucking heads off. But Luke Bentham, man, because he not only is he a good guitar player, like I think from a technical aspect, but he plays with feeling. So like the solos very much they're why I love like Bob Stinson's like solos. Like, you know, there there's very much like it's a feeling more than oh, he's just playing a scale. And I think Luke's Luke's solos on fuck art are just exceptional. Like through and through. Like there's just I think damage control. Damage Control is one of the best ones, I think, solo-wise. One more in the bill, another great one. I mean, like, most most of the songs have some kind of guitar solo in them, and they're all good. But, like, again, he just it, – it's coming from someone who's not a big solo guy. Like, I'm not – like, I'm a big bass – like, I, I play bass. So, like, I love good bass lines. Ross played some great bass lines on this record. So it's like, you know, that, that's an obvious that I appreciate like that or like a good rhythm section. But like guitar solos are not normally my thing. And guitar solos with the dirty nil are one of the highlights. I mean, it's like it's honestly like listening to Johnny Thunders where you're like, oh, no, I want it. Like, I want to hear you solo. Like, I want to hear you make that fucking guitar squeal. Like, I want to hear you just what you can do with it. Like, I'm I'm all about it. And, you know, that's that's definitely uh, uh, what Luke does on here. Just, I mean, just such a strong, such a strong power trio. And, you know, same with uh, same with Luke's, like, powerful rock vocals. You got to give credit where credit's due. And Ross, besides being a great bass player, his backing vocals and some of the screaming that he does on the record is just layered so well with, with Luke's vocals that it just, it works seamlessly. Like, there's times where you may not even realize that there's two people uh, you know, like singing at the same time, like it just, it works so well together and meshes so well, 
that like you you just you just don't realize it you know on on first listen until you start like dissecting it and again like just for it the way they utilize it like it's just three excellent musicians on this album just playing their fucking hearts out and just playing so well together like you know Ross on bass is just doing his own thing he's not just playing straight up root notes Kyle is like Kyle can hit those drums he is a hard hitter like I love I love Kyle's uh, playing and I'm I'm far from like I know a good drummer and I like I know drummers that I enjoy but like I I don't know a whole lot on like the technical side of drums but I can tell you he uh I mean he hits the fuck out of those drums and I like his style cuz I I think he's he's almost a less is more like he doesn't do tons of crazy fills he plays what works for the song but like don't get me wrong it's not all about playing in the pocket. He'll still do some impressive shit on there. He's just not overplaying every second of the song. Like he really kind of picks and chooses when he wants to like kind of ooh and ah ya with uh you know with his drumming. But like just everything which is important, you know, I mean a band a, a Canadian power trio though they don't really sound alike, but like it's the same thing with like Rush where it's like you have this band, I don't care if you like Rush or not, but like you have to like they're all masters at their instrument. Like all three of them are so good at what they're doing that when you put that together, like including in a trio, you need that because you have you have less to hide behind with just three of you up there instead of four or five members. And like you have to have you know, you gotta be just that much better. And, you know, the dirty nil are already up there, I think is uh is one of them. At least in my book, you know, you look at like powerful rock trios and uh they are they are absolutely thrown up there. Every chorus, I mean, it just sounds massive too. This is kind of it, it it's one of those ones where it's like you hear these songs and you're like, oh man, like every like every chorus. I can't think of one chorus on this album that isn't fucking really, really big, like just isn't huge and isn't memorable, like that you'll be singing along with by, by chorus two, you know, by the second time the chorus comes around in the song, you're already singing along to it. You already know the words. It's another one. Like I mentioned before, like with a couple songs, like on uh, bless my psyche, but like you hear these songs being played in an arena. Like I can, I can hear these songs being played in a huge, massive room with thousands and thousands of people. And I mean, in, in our, in the right world, like, where everything is the way it should be, the Dirty Nil are playing arenas. And, I mean, they they still got time, but by all means, they they need to be. And this is another one. I mean, this album I see on a lot of top tens where uh, they seem – I'm very happy for them. I think they picked up a lot of new fans on Fuck Art, a lot of people who didn't know about them who uh, and are going back to because they have such a – they're another one that just a strong, like, catalog – you know, like that, that you can go back and fall in love with all of it. Some bands, hey, there are bands on my top 10 this year where I'm like, I still go back and I'm not into like what they were doing on the first couple albums. Whereas the Dirty Nail, it's like, oh, fuck no. They were great from the beginning. Like they just, they they had a talent and uh, they've just continued with it. And yeah, th- this album is just so, so good. I, I love it so much. I probably listen to it. I, I bet I listen to it almost once a day in 2021. I wouldn't be surprised. And if I didn't listen to it all the way through, I at least listened to a few songs, whether it was on, you know, while it, whether I was driving or it was on a workout playlist, like whatever, I listen to it like every day. It's just that great of a record. And every song's a fucking masterpiece, but my top three on this one, which was hard to pick, but uh, Hang Your Moon, Blunt Force Concussion, and Damage Control, which, I mean... Damage control. Uh, I mean that that solo in there 
is just so good. If you want to see me just start air guitaring to a song, it's that. It's just fucking that one. I remember uh, shout out shout out my boy Zach who uh, is on the pod with you know Zach and Kyle, my uh, my bad boys of Illinois. Um, I remember being with him over the summer in uh, Springfield. And uh, he he was blasting that album and specifically damage control when he was driving and I wasn't driving. So I got to sit in the passenger seat and the whole fucking song like when I wasn't air drumming, I was fucking air guitar soloing. And just that that whole song is just perfect for all of it. I can't say enough good things about that album. Like I love it. Like I play the shit out around the radio show. I feel like I've talked about it a bunch on here. I interviewed Luke when it came out. It uh it is just such a good album. It It is so uh I, I'm so happy that came out, including in a shitty year. I'm happy that we got some really good records like Fuck Art and Bless My Psyche and Came Down Different and uh, Life is Pain, Idiot, and uh, all all those great records that came out in 2021. Really, the last two years, I mean, we, you know, 2020, 2021, not great years for many. Re- <laughs> you can probably count on one hand like good like reasons why you would say it was a good year. And, like, one of the only things for both is a lot of great fucking music. Like, really, really good music for both years. Like, I was wondering if 2021 would be a continuation of all the great, all the great music of uh, 2020. And it really was. I'm, I'm, it'll be interesting to see what this year will bring. I, I, something I brought up when I interviewed Lovebreakers, because they were talking about how they're already working on their next album. Because what happens is during this time, you know, people put off right, you know, putting out an album or like they recorded it like right before the pandemic happened and then it kept getting pushed off or, you know, they just kept kind of putting it off. They weren't sure if they should put it out, whatever reason it is. So like that thing of a two year album cycle, I think is going to be kind of weird the next few years because an album might have came out in like 2021 that was recorded in like 2019. But that's the thing. They recorded it two, three years ago. So by 2022, they're ready to write another record. You know, that record might have just came out eight months prior, but like they're ready to put another one out. So I'm, I, I think we're going to see bands. I think the two year album cycle thing, uh, I don't think it's going to go away forever, but I think that's going to go out the window for the next couple years just because of, you know, everything and release dates just getting so wonky that uh i kind of see that happening which i'm not i'm not really against and i think uh the dirty nil being one of them cuz i know they uh they record that album they were like racing against time just as the pandemic was starting so like you know they they're one who that album came out you know they recorded it in like and or beginning end of 2019 beginning of 2020 and uh you know so it's been a couple years so i wouldn't be surprised if they're like working on new music so that that's one I'm definitely I, I wouldn't be mad if we get some new dirty nil in uh, 2022. But that that is the episode. Those are my top ten albums of 2021. Like I said, there's a Spotify playlist up now with uh, the top three songs from all those minus liquids. You gotta go if you want to go hear that before you purchase it on uh, Bandcamp. Go look it up on YouTube. Though really, you can sample. You can listen to whole albums on Bandcamp. So really, you can just go check it out on Bandcamp too. Whatever you want to do there, just make sure you go check it out. But check out that Spotify playlist if you want even more new music of 2021. You want to go check out the playlist before this one for uh, for this podcast from last week, our uh, our December thirty first radio show because that is it was a four hour radio show and the playlist is like almost three hours and it's all music from twenty twenty one so you got this playlist as well as a almost three hour playlist with over forty five hour artists on it. Uh, with the best of 2021 so if you want to go like check out all the uh, music that came out last year 
those would be uh, two great playlists to go check out. But yeah, that is that is it for the show. Follow us online at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Would very much appreciate that. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And you check out the radio show every Friday night on 107.9 WRFA. You can stream it online at WRFALP.com. And, uh, yeah, radio show is different from the podcast, so go check that out. I play more music and I talk more on here. But, uh, yeah, that is it. Hit me up, PowerCordHour at gmail.com. I have, like, a handful of stickers left. I'll send you one. If you just want to talk music, whatever it is, hit me up there. That's where you can get a hold of me. And, uh, yeah, that is going to be it. I believe next week we'll be back with uh, local musician Joey Cobra. We are uh, – I'm, I'm recording this here Monday night. I guess it will probably be out, like it's, – it's 11 right now. So, really, it's not coming out till like, Tuesday night, like, late, late Tuesday night. But um, I'll be coming back in the studio here Tuesday evening to uh, talk to Joe, and that is that should be out next week. So more than likely tune in next Monday for uh, me and Joe talking. It's going to be fun. I mean, obviously we'll talk about his music and art. He always stays busy with both, but, uh, you know, being an artist and a musician. But on top of that, we're going to talk our favorite music of 2021 more. You know, not doing our top tens, but talk talk about maybe get in depth more on some albums that I didn't talk about on this one. But, you know, discuss that, talk about our most anticipated of 2022, all that good stuff. So that'll be next week. So make sure you tune back in. But until then, for the Power Court Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for listening.